Hello listeners, today on Blind Insights, down the digital rabbit hole, the path to right-wing radicalization. Trust us, the path will be long, circuitous, slippery, and not too steep, but boy it ends weird. I'm here this afternoon with David Olney. How are you, David? Very well, thank you, Tim. Today I only have a bottle of water because I'm two coffees in. We're not caffeinated enough, apparently. Or two is enough. <laughs> We're also here with a very special guest, Patch Sandu. How are you, Patch? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me. That's quite all right. We're very excited to talk to you about some kind of interesting topics or topics that you've been interested in. And yeah. Of course, our audience should share that because it's quite a common debate on the internet, I would say. And, and that kind of cuts right to the heart of what it's all about is, you know, online, the way our online technology and social media is kind of at play in shaping how society is kind of dealing with radicalism and terrorism and all of that in today's world. So, you know, fun, heavy topics right <laughs> off the bat. <laughs> so how your phone can teach you to be radical. <laughs> well, that, that's, our, that's our temporary title until we end up where with- we possibly may. <laughs> so, Padge, do we want to start with Gamergate? What's your what's your th- what's th- your preferred? Thesis? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Gamergate is a good place to start because that is partly where all of this not all began, but it was a little bit of a canary in the coal mine in terms of where we are now with online radicalization, far right radicalization specifically, and then particular variations of uh, what I'm particularly interested in is sort of white supremacist radicalization but it all overlaps with sort of you know misogynist radicalization which was what Gamergate was also you know probably mm. to the largest degree about and how many of those kinds of characters but then also the process from that time have kind of carried over to what's going on now but I, I, what I might start with actually is just the idea of if you imagine say say a young young usually white male teenager maybe going into 20s who is like many of us like myself was you know as a a gamer is you know someone who enjoys video games is probably you know quite active online quite active in sort of the online gaming space and that might be for many of them sometimes their their biggest social interaction if and the most not. important because they're getting status from their performance. That's right. Yeah. And and the status feedback sort of loops and all that. And all quite innocent, all quite innocuous, enjoying games they like. And then, say, they're following a particular game. They're on, they decide, you know, say, if it's, say it's a very young kid, maybe only 13 or 14, you know, they start looking up YouTube they, uh, videos for, for the games they like. They start looking up Twitch channels, streamers for the games they like. All fun things, all things I still do. What happens is, on the one hand, you have sort of these social media programs like YouTube as the most kind of mainstream one, which so many of us are using daily. And you start watching a channel, you start, and it's, you know, a gaming channel or a streaming channel. And suddenly, you know, you start to get more videos that are like that. You get similar ones feeding in. The algorithm does its work and you're getting sort of these content cascades of you know play playing call of duty you get more call of duty videos then it goes on to other popular streamers it goes on and on and so it's it's doing what most people are doing with 
YouTube where you either you know, you're looking at cat videos or <laughs> makeup videos <laughs> or game videos and, and, and you can get into such niche kind of categories. And then something interesting happens, which is they're looking at things which are seemingly sort of innocent first and then you start to get slightly more politicised content. And it's politicised in a way which is it's sort of dressed up where it doesn't seem necessarily political at first, or they, they, they even will pose it as, as anti-political. But it will be things like sort of, you know, shitposting. <laughs> Comments is the, the word that comes up a lot, but a lot of things which are like anti-social justice. Uh, they have, you know, they have, they have a lot of uh, code sort of references. So social justice warriors, sort of a, a bad leftist thing of the leftists coming to, you know, take over politically and 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 all those things like you know they don't like that your the video games you play or something like that and they watch more and more yeah sorry go on no it's okay sorry i guess for our listeners out there an example would be linux or um, yeah yeah so you would have these social justice warriors sjw's will come in and kind of impose marxist rules i guess as maybe some people would describe them on a community and it it perhaps ruins the community for some people who are other, otherwise politically inclined. Um, so this is a direct reaction and an aggressive reaction, I suppose. That's I, it would be how so I would describe it to our listeners. The interesting thing here seems to be to me describing two things happening simultaneously, that there is often a pressure to normalise one set of behaviours, which if you feel comfortable with them, you're normalised to perhaps a more inclusive, more politically correct model of how the online environment should be. But that if you feel that doesn't represent you, you move away from the pressure of normalisation into trying to define yourself in a new way with a new group. Is that a way to kind of summarise yeah. the, the two pressures in parallel? So so normalisation of more radical content is, is part of it and mm. also desire to, to sort of fit into the new the new kind of splinter splinter group. So they, they're getting these sort of content cascades that sort of start very, very innocent and sort of very quickly that content suddenly starts to become things which are sort of fairly fringe sort of channels and ideas uh, specifically around sort of conspiracy theories, specifically around uh, sort of racist and anti-Semitic content. It'll go from suddenly you know, quite mainstream stuff around games to sort of general mainstream, maybe conservative or right-wing thinking or ideas to then very suddenly fringe info wars. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, Alex Jones. <laughs> yeah, um, very, and, you know, a number of other sort of, um, you know, Richard Spencer or, you know, Miley Yiannopoulos, this sort of um, these quite, quite radical, quite, you know, far-right yeah. characters and, and the kind of media content people are absorbing then mm. is a lot more extreme than they would normally encounter in in sort of a in a in a mainstream setting could we say that then in some ways you've you've found your broad group in gaming yeah there's enough commonality there but once you've got a group people are looking for status so they look for more information that can give them a deeper insight to be seen as more significant by the group and that the people often who are appealing, their status comes from politicising this environment and pulling people to this deeper, darker place? 
Right. And the next sort of step of it is when it gets onto sort of online chat rooms, online both texting and, and voice stuff. So one of the most popular place of that is is discord which is very popular for gaming uh, chat and and discussions and what what was sort of surprising also in sort of my research and and what experts have uncovered in this is that discord was very specifically targeted by white supremacist factions specifically stormfront as a recruiting place so they would go in to discord you know chats and they would essentially work much the way that most recruiters or predators would work, which was through a grooming process. And so you you have more impressionable uh, people looking for status, looking for social acceptance, and starting in, in ways which are quite innocuous, where it's a lot about meme sharing, you know, things around, oh, let's, you know, let's be taboo, let's kind of poke fun at everything. Because part of being the in-group is to say we're different. Yeah. And pointing out the inadequacy of someone else to prove I'm on the inside because I get the joke and I can make the joke and they'll laugh with me, not at me. And that also yeah. you kind of, you're in the know a bit more than, <laughs> you know, someone yeah. on the outside. And and at first, you know, like, and it may start as quite innocuous, memes about, memes about games, memes about movies, things like that. And then all of a sudden it starts to escalate and then you're getting repeated sort of anti-Semitic content, Holocaust jokes, not so much jokes really because they're, they're not very funny, um, but repeated sort of messages. And what happens is as well, the enforcement of the social group, so leaving the group or sort of expressing any kind of uncomfortableness with the content is then, you know, you're targeted for derision and you can't hack it and it's just, you know, and don't take it so seriously. But also, yes, it is very serious. So there's a sort of a winking kind of, thing around it being oh it's just being ironic but then no no not really and the most important part being content saturation so keep up the saturation of the same repeated ideas and it comes back to usually to those same age-old conspiratorial kind of ideas around um you know anti-semitic sort of you know the jews controlling the world george soros is you know manipulating everything the uh, white genocide the great replacement theory and i'll i can go into some of the um specifics around some of those if you like how big well. a role does misogynism play in this is anti-woman a first step to make the bros come together as a group yeah it is that like the the, the, the buy-in <laughs> drug so you're taking young males who probably find young females to be frightening because they're different because they want to <laughs> look cool in front of them so the first way to build trust in the group is to say, yeah, we're a group and they're a group and oh, aren't they difficult and annoying? Yeah. So you've set up that it's mm-hmm. okay to target a group that, you know, the vast majority of young males are feeling uncomfortable about. And and also going through, if they're teenagers too and, and adolescents, they're, they're going through a period where it's quite normal to be, you're still developing maturity, you're still can be quite, you know, socially awkward. There's a lot of sort of feelings around, you know, if they're heterosexual around... Uh, sort of you know women developing but they don't know necessarily how to handle that yet or they might be at different stages of maturity which is all quite normal but yeah the the immediate sort of place that it's taken to by by the the sort of people who are trying to target uh, these young people is to bond it around misogyny and bond it around sort of shared Anxi- and and this gets into another another whole sort of overlapping subculture of um, incel um, yeah who are a uh, truly sort weird of, bunch uh, subcultures and 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 gamer game was about that as well about sort of 
you know, really sort of quite quite vile sort of you know, social bonding around targeting women and targeting and based on sort of gender lines uh, and, and quite rampant sort of sexism. And so that sort of initial bonding around that uh, particular cluster has then sort of overlapped with with other groups where you know they've seen openings where you know oh we well, can get them on on that front then you can get them against all of the other categories as well and then that's where it's tipped over into not just social sort of sexism and racism and that kind of thing but now where where we're seeing you know violence and the encouragement of violence and and terrorist attacks um, at a much more frequent level than we had been seeing. And so it, there's this interesting sort of pattern from social radicalization all the way to to actually egging on and encouraging and then having people take action and then the reinforcement loops around that as well, which have also been gamified in the Christchurch shooting in, in the aftermath of that, who was someone who had approached the entire shooting like a game, uh, all the way from the, the GoPro camera on the rifle to the way that yeah, that's true. his yeah. um, social media content before the attack was yep. framing it as, you know, with kill counts and scores, gamer references. And then that was being amplified again by on 4chan and 8chan and a number of these other sort of social media places where there was, you know, rampant sort of popular posts around like, you know, best your score and topping, you know, topping kill counts and things which would then going back into the sort of pool of uh, the media pool of radicalization and feeding into then further attacks, things like the El Paso attack and so on. So it becomes a sort of a self-perpetuating cycle. And so it's interesting how much that has kind of been happening in the background of our societies without terribly much attention from government or national security apparatus until mm-hmm. relatively recently across sort of Western uh, countries. They're to different degrees in the sense that in Australia, you know, we've had, they are aware about these threats. ASIO has talked about it. They've, you know, they're, they're monitoring this kind of thing. In the US, it was <laughs> almost the opposite where it had been discussed domestic right-wing terrorism had been, they'd been trying to develop sort of, you know, more of a, a focus and a task force on addressing that as far back as 2009. And it was basically kind of defunded and shut down largely because it was seen as overly political or that it blamed sort of the right. And so they were very unhappy with that kind of framing. And to the point now when in the Trump administration in the US, they they went in specifically to pre- prevent white supremacist, white nationalist terrorism from being even a topic of domestic terror cases so they're not allowed to look at it in that framework and so we've now got national security organizations around the world and and our domestic sort of police apparatus that normally is well equipped to deal with these kinds of threats quite behind the curve because the the political view and the societal view has been to look away from this because the threat has so far you know been the focus has been since 9-11 in the the post 9-11 world around Sunni Islamic terrorism and all of our sort of national security apparatus has been geared towards that and so this has kind of been growing in the background and hasn't been 
addressed to the same extent. And that's really interesting because what you can see is that when we could point the finger at the other, when we could say, oh, it's a quote-unquote you know, Muslim youth problem or a quote-unquote recent convert to Islam problem, we could say, okay, security agencies, this is your responsibility. You go find the young vulnerable person and you work out how they're radicalised and you slow the process down. Now that process often started in some daylight but very quickly moved somewhere dark. The irony is while national security's been trying to get its head around a process that reasonably quickly ends up in dark spaces, we've had very public spaces, very normal spaces related to gaming used as the gateway into a world that stays very public right up to and probably beyond the point where it's politicised young males into you know denying, denying the validity of the society they live in and the rules that hold it together. Mm. So the irony is we got busy as societies trying to understand the scary other and in doing so forgot to face the potential of the scary us. Yeah, I, uh, correct. And in, in particular, I think it's fascinating how much it's, it's natural that we're good at dealing with threats from the external. We're mm. good at dealing with, you know, we say, oh, that's you know, an external enemy. We can kind of mobilize resources. We, we move heaven and earth. We'll change mm. um, the entire way that we do our, you know, the entire way our national security is geared, our defense policy is geared, our um, policing is is geared towards addressing those vulnerabilities and towards addressing both stopping violent terrorist actions from happening and also sort of in in looking at communities and doing de-radicalization within, say, Islamic communities with, within Western countries. And they've been very proactive about that. You can also, you can look at the sort of also the sheer expanse of this global war on terror and how much we may have i think it's probably debatable how much we have it has gone beyond even the scope of what's useful to what is yeah the politics of how interesting yeah the politics of of how much that might have been overdone or or what is you know legitimate use of national security work to to deal with that threat versus a real lack of even the most basic kinds of resourcing and and awareness and discussion of the threat that's kind of been brewing in our midst because i guess it is you know us it is our own uh domestic uh, sort of society which we're suddenly not so <laughs> we're not so ready to yeah. to face because it's um it's probably a more frightening and a more challenging issue the irony here in some ways is that you know when since 9-11 we've been looking for the vulnerable alienated you know young muslim man or recent convert to islam we can say we're only trying to find the one in a million the frightening thing about the process of radicalizing you know young white males in a predominantly white population is the recognition it's not that they're already particularly alienated or vulnerable it's that You've got an environment full of so many young white males that if you come up with good tools, you can sift and modify and sift and modify behaviour and create the radical you need or want. So rather than being looking for the one vulnerable person, here it's we'd have to acknowledge we've got a large number of people who might be vulnerable if effectively targeted. 
So looking to stop the targeting, looking to stop the groomers, looking to stop the recruiters means we have to look very carefully at whole processes of altering behaviour within our own quote-unquote community. It's a cultural predisposition in some sense. Yeah, because if all young white males are looking for some status, looking for somewhere to belong, all humans are looking for that. All very normal things. So the point with this, Mm -hmm. a young male is not really any different to anyone else. They're just at a phase where they're likely to be impressed by certain things. And the irony is that's easy to target to because it's so damn universal. Yeah, it's correct. And it's not unusual um, that demographic has been targeted and also that that's the kind of, you know, that the scale of the problem is now so large because it is our own domestic society. It's not a small minority community within a larger country or society where mm-hmm. you can kind of target, you know, resources and, and surveillance and, you know, and policing activity with a lot more specificity. But here you have, it's online, it's across the entire, you know, country or across many countries. It's mm-hmm. internationalized. Um, the the internationalization of, of this issue of, of, of white supremacist ideology specifically, but then also the tools of the radicalization sort of process has made it so that it can, it can and has been popping up quite broadly. And so it suddenly starts to connect seemingly attacks which in in the past could have or in isolation could have been viewed as oh that's a lone wolf someone who is sort of slightly unhinged and they've gone off and they've they've done an attack now suddenly seems to be fitting a bit of an eerily consistent pattern where you have you know you can trace it back to to brevik in in norway with the the massacre there in putting out you know a manifesto also very concerned with kind of cosmopolitan multiculturalism the threat of what they perceive as the threat to white population and culture and including you know he was one of the earliest to use the the term the bizarre term but one that's been popularized of cultural marxism Mm -hmm. which doesn't make much sense you know to me as as in marxist in what ways but then that that language has been kind of grabbed and and perpetuated to where it's become very mainstream now you have very mainstream figures talking using that kind of language Absolutely. you have very mainstream figures and politicians in our mm. country and other countries using a lot of the coded language that the white supremacists have very successfully kind of integrated into our mainstream where you know things like you know replacement theory like white genocide the um uh it's okay to be white, which, which it is. It's a that's a very you know normal thing. But it, that phrase itself has been appropriated, a, or uh, it's used as a code yeah. to signal other uh, sort of white supremacists, and and you know you get um, and so the the use of coded language and it, within these subcultures is very interesting as well in terms of how they identify in group, how they they identify targets, how they they identify recruits, heretics all the rest of it to the point that they're quite sophisticated sort of operations. And so you have two things going on at the same time, a sort of a broader sea of radicalization content helped by the social media algorithms, helped by the technology. We've got, you know, people these days are kind of super empowered with technology. So we're, we're awash with this stuff and not necessarily equipped, nor is it realistic that we all would be with the education and the training to discern, oh, that's propaganda, that's designed to manipulate me, that's factual, that's 
true but misleading, that all those, you know, that kind of media literacy, that kind of critical thinking around mm. what we're absorbing is not easy even for very, you know, educated people, even for very, you know, um, smart people to be able to sift through, which is why you get, you know, even say taking the, the kind of the young men out of it for a moment, you'll have, you have older people, you have people using, you know, Facebook. And we saw that play out in things like the 2016 election in Brexit in other places where, you know, state actors have used social media and technology to, as propaganda vehicles. And, you know, people will see content and they'll go, oh, that's shocking or that's surprising. Mm-hmm. Let me share that everywhere. And then you suddenly have, you know, uh, people that you know and and, and are, are quite smart and quite educated saying, you know, repeating back to you something completely untrue or completely uh, conspiracy theory. And, and you say, when did you hear that from? It's like, oh, I heard from Facebook. And uh, suddenly we're awash in, in all of this and they're not stupid, but... Gossip in the village is very, very powerful. That's right. And <laughs> this has been pushed out at such a rate and people are not well equipped with anything to really be dealing with. It seems that we're making a couple of massive societal mistakes. And we'll you know go back to gaming simply because it's the strongest, I think, argument that links a lot of the pieces together. And it's great because someone like Brevik in Norway fits the bill for all these pieces. The Norwegians wanted to call Brevik insane because mm. if Brevik's insane, it's a Brevik problem and not, not a, a societal problem. Yeah. problem. Yeah. And that's the first mistake is to go, oh, there was something wrong with this person. No, the person was just a person and a combination of events and propaganda and manipulation and bending and altering his norms mm. until he constructed a new set is the issue. And the other side with gaming I think that's really important is we historically in society believe, oh, gaming will make you violent. Mm. Gaming Which we must know mean isn't you're true. Out. <laughs> yeah. Which, what we know categorically now is that gaming will up your operant conditioning to act effectively with a weapon, but it will not up your desire to use a weapon. So you would be better at target acquisition and moving on, but that doesn't make you more violent. The more violent is what's happening in this environment because in an environment where people are getting the operant conditioning to be more effective, if you want to radicalise someone to be a weapon in your cause, mm. what a better group of potential people to radicalise than people who are upping their operant conditioning. Mm, and then if correct. you can call them insane, mm. rather than saying, well, looky, we let them be in this world, we didn't give them the skills to discern when they're being manipulated because society as a whole doesn't invest in prepping the young to defend themselves against untruth. Mm. When the grown-ups are succumbing to untruth, how can we possibly hope that the kids do a better job? Yeah. And also gaming is quite an isolated, like we've talked about before. You're both social where, in yeah. it, but you're isolated from different the rest of people. Society. Yes, mm. You're only surrounded by your crew you're, yeah, exactly. in your game. Immediately exposed to people of, the, of, of similar kin. It, yeah. I, there's something strange about, that seems strange to me, mm. that as governments, as authorities that we're more inclined to you know go over east and kind of snuff the terrorists elsewhere as opposed to helping people in our own backyard that seems like there is some kind of inherent 
cultural. Um, okay, Tim. I wonder if you just tapped into something really big I'd never ever thought about. If and I'll I'll go just after you as okay. well <laughs> because yeah. we, it seems like we both had a penny drop, yeah. Yeah. and hopefully, probably two penny drops that maybe add up. I'd never thought about this, but imagine you're a little kid in the post 9-11 world and you're now not just presented with the reality of special operations forces in the war on terror, but you get to play them in your games. Yeah. And you live in a society (laughs) that's not sure what your masculinity should lead you toward becoming. Mm -hmm. And you're a fat slob and you sit on the couch and eat three pizzas a week. You aren't ever going to be special operations, Mm -hmm. but you can play the game. And you, in your mind, can think you're more, but you know you're not more. So your sense of identity is really rather fractured by this reality that you aspire to be these amazing people in the world, but you can't be them. Instead, you're in this community of people who want to be amazing but aren't. And someone feeds you a way to be strong. So in a sense, our reality of saying, wow, isn't amazing that this group of Tough and smart guys are protecting us, but you're not good enough to be them. Mm. Is that another feed into this? Um, that kind of thinking as well, I mean, is, pre- is is sort of the whole underpinning to incel culture, which we touched on before, mm. this idea around deep, you know, sort of insecurities around gender, around masculinity. So misogyny coming first misogyny in this whole Misogyny then added with, you know, sort of self-loathing and hatred, then with, with some turned outward again into into you know because like inwards too painful and violence yeah and the kind of you know am i enough question and and how much that might be impacting a population that might be you know becoming predisposed to not not predisposed sorry becoming sort of you know opportune opportune targets for radicalization mm, mm, mm. because that's in in studying and when i was studying with david in studying sort of Sunni Islamist radicalization and and specifically media radicalization for for those groups, it was much the same kind of process and and targeting around the broader propaganda, which is which was also quite mainstream in uh, the it just Arab didn't world have gaming and the, and the Muslim but it had world. a whole cultural yeah. milieu. There was and there was a whole you know culture that there was a culture in a sense of often backed up by you know, external reality of, you know, the Muslim world is under threat and Muslim world is under attack. You know, Muslims, innocent Muslims are being killed. You need, you know, we need to defend yeah, ourselves. You need to we be need outraged to and you can't internalize outraged. it. Yeah. And, and then the feeling of powerlessness, the feeling of alienation and social, yeah, social alienation, alienation often by people, younger men that were not, poor but quite well off generally the the ones initially especially al-qaeda targeted for for mm. recruitment and the ones behind the the 9-11 attack relatively well off relatively well educated you know smart individuals often engineering degrees and they were and, and one of the reasons they liked people with engineering degrees too was that they thought of the world in black and white terms yeah it's simple there's um, a technical answer you can there there's a clear right and wrong and those were people who and they were often then living in in the West for a period of time, but without you succeeding know, real, to fit, without real integration, without yeah. real sort of, um, uh, 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 for different reasons, being able to to become a part of society, and those were, and then the specific targeting comes in. So you've already got a group of people which are feeling alienated, feeling anxiety, feeling you know uh, emasculated, or issues around both you know social and sort of you know gender uh, vulnerability and want 
wanting to lash out or wanting an outlet and then along comes the recruit and says well you know who the enemy is it's this thing and you should be really angry about that and here are ways you can you know do something about that can i ask we've mentioned the psychology of the individual makes it really difficult to look inside and kind of and 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 Mm. deal with your own insecurities deal with your own shortcomings however you want to phrase that as a society, are we doing the same thing? In insofar as it seems to me, from a, a moral perspective, the, the authorities, yeah, I guess authorities, governments, whatever, should be well inclined to help people in our own backyard. Help, you know, if it's a if it's a predominantly white society, it, it would seem obvious to me that we would be more inclined to help white people within mm. our society. But, but, putting resources but in, yeah. instead, it seems as if we're sending resources sending people over sending putting time into snuffing out terrorists in other countries other cultures and we're saying that that's helping them but is it really just then a is it a cultural is it a band-aid for the fact we don't want to address what's going on under our own noses so there's a fascinating bit in phil zimbardo's book on what's happening to young men Mm. and he did an interesting survey uh, on young guys joining the u.s army and said, well, why? And the answer from so many of them was, it's the only place I could think to go where it's okay to be a masculine male and I know what it means and I can do something socially productive with it. Totally. So if we've got a social problem that says young males are pretty lost and the alternative to dealing with that on a mass scale, and let's extend this further than this, it's also that the economic privilege of, you know, you go to school, you go to uni, it's all going to be groovy. Well, that's Mm. over. Mm. So you've lost privilege. You've lost certainty. You've lost status. And And this is happening on a mass scale. Yeah. And also you're you're told that a lot of the things that seem to come naturally to you or you're least conditioned to are parts of things called toxic masculinity. Yeah. I think um, another good uh, thing to bring up would be the father-son relationships in in the West are, are are lessening by comparison to what they were in previous generations. Fifty well, percent divorce rate in most yep. Western countries suggests that again the role model question. Yep. So what we're saying is that at a social level, and listeners, don't get us wrong, we're not saying that our society is making right-wing terrorists. <laughs> what we're saying is our society is making young males who are too easy. To radicalize, not Pri- that they're quoting, yeah, not priming. that they're quote unquote alienated to the point of no return, or vulnerable to the point of being useless, but just that they are too primed, and we're doing too little to stop people taking advantage of that priming. Mm. That seems to be the essence of it, isn't it? Right, and we so we have sort of we've got these different layers of kind of how how broad or specific the problem is. We can go at at this very sort of you know super broad level we we have what you know how are how are men how are young men sort of adapting to modern society how much does our do our current kind of you know policies and uh, culture you know sort of finding solutions to bringing up young men you know today in a way that's productive and and that they're part of the group and that they're not going to be sort of acting out or or lashing out or 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 resorting to kind of you know fairly reactionary well, mass shootings sort of in the U.S. the norm now. Again, and how many mass shootings can we have in a month? 
and and so you've got this sort of that's that's the that's the most broader you know broadest kind of um situation but then that's common to so many you know um countries and societies too and and then you get more specific and more specific to particular groups that are you know um at risk of radicalization you get more specific to even among them the the populations which then get pulled into sort of radicalized fringe politics radicalized fringe ideologies that then from there and it only needs to and it's it's only a small number but it only ever needs to be yeah. a small number that can then be prompted to go and and commit very you know violent uh actions commit terrorist actions and so it's it's interesting because we have on on the broadest level you would need sort of societal cultural kind of you know change and reform about you know how we look at that and and that's very long term that's very kind of education focused it's very mm. what's well, opportunity and focused and let's focused. put good opportunities in front of people to succeed in positive ways so that other things are infinitely less appealing right and and then you can get to sort of uh the mid-level kind of thing of we have these these radicalization pathways through social media through the kind of content that's been generated which at the moment we don't do very much about so those kinds of you know 4chan 8chan are still very active they're not shut down um we're quite good at targeting and shutting down um say isis um propaganda isis sort of content um forms um, a lot of islamist radicalization and because we know that we we know <laughs> that creates a threat, that creates uh, recruits, um, that creates a major problem for us uh, in society. So we have laws and we have you know um, actions, and and to the point that a lot of you know even private you know companies institutions will self police and will take mm. things down and and mm. uh, and and quite actively monitor and and remove that kind of stuff. And we know that's effective, but we don't do it yet with this content uh you, you don't think i mean uh, arguably you the starting to but youtube <laughs> yeah so yeah. arguably youtube and, and and twitter which receive all kinds of yeah. backlash for the censoring that they do mm. seem to target people that in some ways i would say are innocent but i think also in some ways inadvertently you know, a- accidentally even contribute to perhaps the radicalization, perhaps to the mm. culture. Yeah, and that gets to an interesting question around: Is it you know for for people that are sort of participating in in that those those ra- that radicalization sort mm. of pathway? How much is innocent? How much is accidental? Mm. How much is on purpose? And and it is and it is a bit of a, a mix. So you have th- one of the interesting patterns. So uh, Kelly Weil, who's written for the the Daily Beast and so on, she um, she's written several pieces on social media radicalization. And also they talk about sort of there's an interesting sort of phenomenon of gateway radicals. So before people get to the really the really far out content where then it's it's very you know it's getting very hateful very very violent very you know like it they're they're all the way at the you know replacement theory uh you know Mm -hmm. the the jews are bringing in you know muslims and mexicans to depopulate white countries and all the kind of crazy conspiracy theories you have figures who have a a public face of being fairly mainstream and usually quite popular. Yeah. So a really good example is gamer channel uh, called PewDiePie. 
Oh, P- um, PewDiePie. PewDiePie. Yeah. 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 Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, PewDiePie. Yeah. And, and he has, you know, an insane amount of, you know, I think, what is it? nearly 100 million followers yeah, or something. Yeah, absolutely. Um, He's recently crazy. just got beat by yeah. a Bollywood channel, right? Very, yeah. yeah. In, very popular. Most of his content is just gaming, screaming mm-hmm. content, um, followed by a lot of, you know, people. And But he's also had a reputation. He's been known for sort of, you know, repeated sort of white supremacist coded actions, language, you know, references, and all the way to, you know, including hiring some children in India to put up a cool the Jews <laughs> poster on, on on video. Um and the thing is what the pattern what that'll do is when there's you know he'll he'll do something like this, there'll be a backlash. He apologized and said, that's not what I meant. I he gets very defensive about it mm. and said, no, they're they're mischaracterizing it, but I don't support that stuff. It's just being ironic. It's just shit posting. It's just mm. edge lording, which is part of this also this kind of gamer culture around pushing things to the edge and saying, oh, but I'm just being ironic. And so there's an open question of, well, what's really in his heart? Does he actually believe this or is he just part of this culture? And some of us will say, well, obviously he is, or some of us say, no, of course, that's crazy. But what's interesting is that so people people like him and channels like that, and there's a number of others that are kind of straddle the divide between sort of mainstream and the radical fringe, regardless of how they may really feel, they act as sort of gateway drugs to that radicalization content because of the technology. So the, the the social media, the algorithms will drive, if you're watching PewDiePie content, if you're watching a number of other uh, sort of channels, you will suddenly start to get the more extreme content popping up and you'll mm-hmm. get people then saying, you know, you know, Stormfront talked about how, you know, he's been their their greatest re- recruiter because yeah. it's the algorithm saying if you like this, you might want to go. Yeah, here you might also because like people. This. Be- so the irony is here. It doesn't so whether even it's take true, a sophisticated propagandist. The algorithm says people who watch X are likely to watch Y. So that that seems like a problem with commercialization of the product. Though yes. it's less. It's actually and less the a problem about of recommendation. I, I, so look, mm. you know, I'm someone who watches Jordan Peterson videos. Yeah. I've, I've, I have watched Ben Shapiro videos yeah. I definitely don't agree with. But I'm, some of them I do, perhaps, you know. And, and those I've, are interesting in yeah. terms of, like, Ben Shapiro is not one. He's a mainstream mm. but political again, commentator. Absolutely. Someone that, you know, he's Jewish as well. So it's like mm. the idea, you know, he's yeah. anti-Semitic, probably, you know, I yep. think so. But, you know, it's almost incidental whether or not, you know, and, and many of them are not actually aligned with that kind yes. of fringe content. But the, the technology is sort of driving yeah. people through as as a funnel. And so mo- some people will sort of stop at that point and say, yeah. oh, well, that other stuff is too crazy. Yes. But I just yes. like, you know, his views. Yes. Whereas others like, you know, the El Paso shooter or the Christchurch shooter or Coast Guard plot in sure. the US where those ones, they go they go the next step. And yeah. they, they go to the point of saying, oh, he, you know, he led me to these things and now... I know the truth and now I need to yeah. take so action, which is then it becomes Steven Crowder and then it's Alex Jones and then whatever yeah. it is, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. How, what we do about that? I don't know, but it's, it's so a it's very, it's a, a, it's a thorny, it's a thorny process and a, a thorny kind of problem. And then you get to the, the furthest end of, okay, once you have now radicalized individuals, radicalized, particularly the, the networks that are active on those websites like 4chan, 8chan, um, like some of the Discord chats where it is 
an active group that is seeking to radicalize, seeking to recruit, seeking to perpetuate attacks. Those are then areas where we do actually have laws on the book now. We have resources and the expertise around fighting that kind of terrorism, which we can be using that we're only starting to catch up to now because they've suddenly woken up to the fact that now it's starting to happen at a at a higher rate. And But it, it is an incredible balance. I'm wary of being quite pejorative about mm. some of this content because I, I don't want to say people shouldn't subscribe to PewDiePie, you know? No, I, but I, to I, teach people that just because the algorithm sent you on doesn't mean you should drink the Kool-Aid. Yeah. That, uh, it, it, that somehow there's not a scepticism. There's a missing scepticism here. I think that's. Mm. A, I think is just a sign of a deeper problem, as as yeah. far as I can see. Because, because of course, blanket bans just aren't necessarily something that can idea. that can yeah. work or or can be effectively implemented or or policed. Because the problem is much deeper, and so it's not a sort of it's not really a case of saying okay, these people good, these people bad. That's the line there. Yeah. It, it's more about how do we individually how do we as a society kind of reckon with the fact that now we're in a kind of a wild west in in the information landscape and and a wild west in in just how we are consuming media how we are consuming ideas what's well, even um, deeper than that it's a wild west of identity construction yeah without a real sense of self and a clearly defined moral and social compass the algorithm takes you somewhere it's like oh that was marginally uncomfortable. What's this next thing? I'll move on. Well, don't move on. Think why you're uncomfortable. So somewhere in this, the, the easiest thing in the world is to hit next, and yet the algorithm is going to take you somewhere darker, not somewhere lighter. I must be the only person on planet Earth who has the don't play the next you know, video button pressed on YouTube. <laughs> I either watch the one I want and go back and search for something else, or look through the list, but I certainly don't just let it pick for me. Because these, I must but, be but, weird. But, but, but these tools are designed for entertainment. These and and mm. and these platforms are designed and for revenue. entertainment. And, Which yeah, means and, and I'm a revenue. weirdo because for me it's about want more data. No, but you're not a weirdo in some respect because other people are possibly doing the same thing too. They just don't. Uh, they're, they're conflating the entertainment and and data thing together. Mm. Where in some respect there's some kind of unconscious propaganda happening and just by having the autoplay on YouTube. Yeah. So, you know, my fiance mm. who would sit down and just watch makeup videos yeah. of, like and that would just autoplay through and you know, that's intellectually speaking harmless, right? Because No, I'd actually well, say anything where you've surrendered your choice about what to do next is not harmless. It's an abrogation of the responsible to be conscious. But well, I think harm, harmless in the sense of there's not, say, an uh, overt kind of uh, militant agenda within the makeup. No, no, But it's minimizing consciousness. That's the beginning of a problem. Look, I struggle with that internally and externally because it, it's a common cultural practice of binge watching yeah. videos or, or, or uh, TV yeah, shows. Just losing things. hours. However, in the case of, uh, just in defense of Jade here. Yeah. She, Sorry, Jade. No, no, it's okay. In the defense of Jade, she will have a laptop in front of her and it's background noise. Yeah. Which is... But um, that's different. She's doing something else and she wants an occasional dose of it's, it's, a, it's a culture of distraction. Yeah. What uh, you guys seem to be describing is people who get lost down the rabbit hole. Yeah, it's with their, you know, Doritos and Mountain Dew and they're specifically... Well, at least they should rot their teeth out and make their heart and liver die before they're a danger to the rest of us. <laughs> and, and, and it's an interesting you know, thing where it can be quite 
innocent as well at first. So we've been, you know, interesting sort of interviews with people who have been sort of radicalized or gone down sort of a much more fringe political path and then kind of come back or they've they've moved out of it eventually. And they talk about how it w- it's fairly sort of innocuous and just about through curiosity at first, which is, you know, very natural. So they, they're kind of looking at new things and looking at new content. They're like, oh, that's interesting. Well, curiosity or, or distraction. You know, and and like distraction and yeah. autumn yeah. And, and so on. And suddenly it's at a point where they're being saturated with the message and then they're getting the social feedback loops of, mm. yeah. you know, and the positive reinforcement. Here's a purpose. From, yeah. yeah. And, well, and from pattern recognition. Oh, if you're, if yeah. you're saying this stuff and you're, you're hearing this stuff, uh, that's great. Keep saying it. Keep, mm. you know, using, keep mm. posting those memes. Don't worry about it. It's just funny. It's just, you know, it posting. And then, and to the point where then suddenly they're they're thinking differently, they're conceptualized, their world state is as we talked about with Brevik, their world state has changed, their view of the world has changed. And people can come back from that, but it's a de-radicalization tends to be a longer and more difficult mm. process than the radicalization to begin with. Because um, de-radicalization has to be deliberate. Mm. Whereas what we're talking about is something that is tiny oops or tiny distraction Mm. or tiny whatever. Which I think is is the part about this that I struggle with mm. is that it, it's not an in, like it's not a wholly insidious no it doesn't, yeah. it's not a yeah, deliberate plot. path no. to um, radicalization and, and the, and it's the, the accidental path yeah. as well all, these are all automated this is this is yeah. sort of you know AI at work in yes. the sense of you know these are just automated algorithms that are designed for these companies, giant media mm, conglomerates mm, mm, mm. to get revenue and to Absolutely. get eyeballs. And what was really interesting with the YouTube thing as well was it's not even necessarily that one of the things the algorithms use, it's not just the content of the video, but it's the watch length. So it's, it's sometimes a lot of the time of the video because they mm. want, they basically don't want you to stop watching. They want you to keep they watching. They need you so to stay on something to get to the point of pattern recognition. It's sometimes it's mm. not even about the actual content. It's just here's the stuff that will be that was going to get us the most eyeballs and the most revenue mm. over that time. And then you have super empowered sort of radical groups, mm. which we've had before and, and still do with Islamic terrorism or other movements. Mm-hmm. And now you have it with, with sort of white supremacist or other fringe groups mm-hmm. of they're quite media savvy. They know how to game the system in the sense of getting the videos and getting the content to get fed into the algorithm so that then those are the ones that start to pop up. Mm, so mm. that sort of, it's an interesting sort of meeting point between a very broad, not insidious, larger sea of mm. just information sort of overload and, and processes and then smaller groups within that taking advantage mm, of mm, those mm, systems mm. to try and push a, mes- a message. And it's not, it's not huge. It's not the, the point that they've got, you know, suddenly there's, there's millions and millions of, you know, an army of, of uh, radicals coming out to get us. It's just that if they get, the proportion is now more. And it's es- and because we've not paid attention to it mm. as much that ASIOS had, had, had put out a warning last year, I believe, and also now in, in the US and the UK, that, you know, they're paying more attention to it because of more recent attacks. But because our eyes have been off the ball and distracted by other things, we're now kind of playing catch up. Mm. 
it's really difficult to know what to do, but I, I still kind of come back to saying that I think, you know, everything that possibly we have, have tried with blanket bands yeah. or, yeah. or censoring or whatever, it doesn't work. And, and the defenses of those things are completely legitimate, but yeah. it, it comes back to saying that perhaps this content, perhaps these memes, uh, you can argue whether they're funny or not, but aren't inherently wrong necessarily. I'm, mm. I'm going to be quite broad in my description of that. Sure. Right? Sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I think the only way that we can solve it with, with a pill that people will be able to swallow is starting with the, the cultural roots of these things, making making it so that uh, white males aren't, young white males aren't, are primed to become ra- ra- radicalised, you know. Um, and to get society to accept that the slippery slope is not steep, mm. but it is most definitely long. Mm. I think it's a long game issue, which is, mm. I think, one of the hardest things for society to deal with. It's and awareness is is largely the biggest thing about it mm. because yeah, people who are on. aware about what is what can be done or what is is being done are then going to go. Oh, I I can see what's happening. Yes, when when sort of you know they might be some way you know in the midst of that they go. Oh, I okay. This is I'm seeing sort of the signs here that add up, and that might mean you know the most productive way on an on an individual level or a societal level to, mm. yeah, to focus it, on creating your own identity not being fed one that seems easy and guaranteed to give you status if something's been given to you and it's giving you status then it's not you that made it someone's manipulating you that seems to be the essence of this i'm going to say something that's a little bit spicy <laughs> um, <laughs> i'd love to come back and talk about something similar about perhaps even feminist radicalization from the perspective of the lackluster parts of our society, say um, rape or uh, domestic abuse or lack of safety and status even that women experience that cause them to end up in perhaps ideologically misplaced places. (laughs) This is the point when society is going through transformation Mm. and transformation is slow Mm. and identity creation is hard. Mm. If someone's willing to say, this will give you status, this will give you power, this will give you identity, anyone who offers you those things for free Mm. shouldn't be trusted. Mm. I'm not, uh, just to be clear, I'm not saying that all feminists are radicalized. I was just, let's say, like, take it to the very extreme. Like, anyone out there who is listening and identifies as a feminist, I don't think I'm calling you out. No, so about the slope again is. Momentarily take that up as a thing as a feminist. (laughs) I'm a male as well, so take that with a grain of salt. I don't think they're equal equivalencies in the sense of what is happening on kind of far right sort of radicalism and extremism compared to say what women are have been dealing with and, and continue to deal with from generations and centuries of misogynistic and sexist culture and society that's sure. been designed to keep them you know suppressed and 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 curtail their rights and curtail their autonomy and them being able to to greater degrees you know have those rights have that autonomy and but still face enormous challenges in the kinds of you know the kind of violence we see against women these days the kinds of uh, the kind of extremely prevalent you know sexism and discrimination that mm. that women face in society in the workplace you know in online spaces from my perspective from what i've read of feminist views or critiques of where we are as a society as a mainstream society now is that it's wholly inadequate what how our society is currently structured in 
dealing with those issues. And there needs to be kind of fairly broad sort of structural reforms around how we can improve society so that it is better for women, better for all of us. Mm. From my perspective, I don't think those are radical things. I think those are positions sort of rooted in trying to address very deep structural inequalities. But, uh, and and so where it then falls in terms of how far, so, you know, whether someone is has a political position that maybe the, our current mainstream of society sees us as fringe or sees mm. as a radical thing, that might, you know, that's probably debatable, I guess, about how, how far those things are. But we, we don't see the kind of extreme violence, call for violence, uh, threats that on that side that we do with the other, which mm. we, which, you know, women and, and minorities continue to face those kinds of threats and those kinds of existential threats on a more frequent level these days. I think, I think a, a, a completely fair thing to say. I think, you know, if, if, if males are being displaced, then um, basically what they can come back to is some kind of violence that they're... Uh, well, your bi- privilege has been taken away. Yeah. And if your privilege has been taken away, a logical response to something being taken away... Yeah is to go, I want it back. Yeah. So what we've done here is we've had a system... And the perception is that something's been taken away. So we had a system of control. As opposed to necessarily the reality. We had a system of control that privileged men. And we're dismantling a system of control without effectively addressing that a proportion of men think their privilege has been taken away. And violence for men has been normalised because it was a way to manage societies, manage populations and go to war. But that doesn't mean that you know, the violence has been spread everywhere. I want to make clear that I was not saying that feminist rad- rad- radicals are equal to... How many processes yeah. are similar? The processes yes. might be heading I, in different directions. Yes. So if you can't construct your own identity in a social environment that says we value you as you and you have the privilege of being a citizen... What processes are going to affect you and shape you if you don't know how to take responsibility for you know, a decent proportion of your own identity construction? Mm. Yeah. Um, Sorry, go on. No, no, that's, I thought it was possibly a good place to end. But if you have something else to say, you're very welcome. Uh, no, I think okay. yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> cool. It's been a, a really eye-opening, a very productive uh, conversation. I think as a young white male, I mean, it's been... It can be challenging, I think, sometimes to I, he- I th- hear this. It, it is, <laughs> it is, it, because yeah. you, you don't... You our don't, own demographic. Yeah, our, yeah, yeah, exactly. You don't want you don't want to associate that with part of your identity. I mean, if that's part yeah. of your identity construction, then, you know, it's, and, it is challenging to hear. And I can say as well, I hope sort of in going forward and in how we sort of address this, you know, as a society is that when we call attention to these issues or try and find ways of, you know, how to address them, it shouldn't be about sort of vilifying any... Uh, no, it's about recognizing group. dangers and circumventing. Yeah, them. Or, or that you know, white men or young white men are mm. uh, not without their struggles. They're not without um, how they're they're adapting and and trying to adapt and trying to deal with you know a very rapidly changing modern world and and the technologies we face and societal changes we face and that you know we should sort of be I think looking all of us hopefully reaching out and and trying to find have compassion for each other and for an empathy for what other people that might be different to us are mm. going through in those in those struggles and that 
because re- really when we talk about you know our society we're all in it together and, we, and and the risk is that because you know we're all so interconnected and, and in a globalized world we're so interdependent with each other that mm. we can't afford to be separated out and fall back to our identities of us and them and our group and the, the threats from the outsider it's it's trying to break those down away mm. from sort of mm. the radicalization pathway which is trying to frame it into the in-group the out-group and the us versus the threat mm. um, because that's where the danger for dehumanization and the danger for then violence comes yeah, from absolutely and so i think yeah, i'll leave it there okay <laughs> that's well <laughs> that's, no, that's, that's fine um thank you very much patch for coming on thank you for having me yeah it's been an absolute pleasure and thank you of course david thank you Padge, and thank you listeners hello listeners if you're enjoying our podcast please subscribe and like our facebook page search for blind insights with david olney also don't forget that we have merchandise thank you to the oscast network peace out